Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Krabby Pastor podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Krabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about sustainability in ministry. I am here for episode number two with Janine McConaughey. She is the author of Trauma in the Pews, The Impact on Faith and Spiritual Practices. And this was a book that was written to help ministry leaders, pastors understand trauma, because that is a major piece of what the people in the pews are living with, dealing with. So, so Janine, start us off, start us off like this, COVID. Talk, talk briefly about the trauma of COVID. COVID. <laughs> I I don't know about and thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm so appreciative of this and and getting my message out that I believe brings compassion to to our ministry. And and COVID, it was a it was a a worldwide collective trauma. And there there wasn't sometimes when trauma is experienced you you have a a segment of the pot, for instance you know, uh, there's a flood in an area and people from other areas who didn't experience a flood could go and help the people who experienced the flood. But there wasn't anyone who wasn't impacted at different levels. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not saying that the impact was the same on everyone. It's certainly, my impact was certainly not the same as someone, as other people, but but it was collective mm-hmm. and it was help. And one of the hallmarks of trauma is feeling helpless and powerless mm-hmm. and if there's anything that in my lifetime that collectively has made the world feel helpless and powerless, it was probably the pandemic. Sure. And, you know, in our last episode, we talked a lot about the ACE, that's A-C-E, and it is the, what does that stand for again? Remind me. Adverse Childhood Experiences. Okay. So now we're talking about trauma in an adult life. And so can we shift for just a second and talk about the kinds of trauma potentially that ministry leaders experienced. I I think that every ministry leader who is li- listening to this podcast would say, "I ministry has very has had a lot of traumatic moments in it," and I think that that we have to look at that that trauma is an ongoing impact of an event that happened, and so. So in 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 ministry, for instance, if if and this is how this is how our bodies work. This is just normal what our bodies do to take care of us. But if you if you are leaving church one Sunday and you and you have a church member take apart your sermon in the parking lot, okay, <laughs> which I grew up in a pastor's home, you know, I don't you can say that. Here, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and then the next, the next week, you're, you're kind of hesitant to go out in the parking lot and talk to people. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a trauma response. 
Okay, that is exactly because your body was created to keep you from going back to situations that that felt unsafe. And so, so anything that happens to you in ministry without without the processing of that and the, you know, working through, I talked about in the last podcast, the fact that why do people, why did that person, what, what was going on inside of that person that they felt it was necessary to come to you and do that. Right. And I've been yelled at in parking lots more than one time. So I know, I, I, I know that feeling. So mostly by students who didn't understand they're great, but anyway, yeah. That's another podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that's a whole nother, yeah, another whole nother podcast. But but if if anything has happened to you in ministry that was difficult, then that lives on. It just doesn't end with that moment. It is part of your story that continues to impact you. And if you experienced adversity in childhood, the likelihood that you will be impacted by something that happens to you as an adult is much greater. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and then with, you talk yeah. in the book about the cost, the high cost of not doing your own healing. Yes. So there's a, there's a type of therapy. It's called internal family systems. And, and one of the things that I love about that type of therapy is it talks about that we have wounded parts inside of us. And when anybody comes near those wounded parts that have not been processed, have not been healed, have not been helped, then then we have we have protectors in our in our structure of our being that that jump forward and try to defend us or try to fight back or try to and and so whenever we are in ministry and we have not resolved what took place in our childhoods, then that is that wounded child is always sitting there and and we feel protective. And so what happens is that when somebody says something to us that connects to something that happened to us, either as an adult or at a younger age, then our nervous system becomes dysregulated. So one of the one of the I had someone I was talking with with you. You gave the illustration. <laughs> was it of, me? <laughs> yeah. It was we were talking last week. You gave the illustration of you can't have a tug of war if someone sets a rope down. If one side sets a rope down, you cannot have a tug of war. Yeah, right. I, it's a beautiful picture of you can't have a fight if if someone and I'm not talking about not having a voice, but I'm talking about if if one person can remain regulated then then the argument will not begin to escalate and you see this you see this everywhere and the hardest the most difficult the people who find it most difficult to self regulate are those who have young trauma attachment wounds abandonment issues it, trauma experiences it's you instead of learning to self-regulate as a child you learn to survive and you you feel protective instead of being able to say what is happening right here is not about me what is happening is about what is what is going on inside of this other person and why they feel the need and so to be able to remain regulated to remain calm yourself requires you to do your own work right but because ministry leaders are trained 
to do the non-anxious presence thing. But that doesn't mean that there's not something brewing underneath that needs to maybe be explored so that you can go on and be an effective ministry leader. And we talked some in the last podcast about pray more, you know, read your Bible more. But as you said in the book, and I like this little segment, it said not everything is a spiritual issue. And that's, you know, when you are the dispensers of the spiritual solutions to life, it's very difficult to hear that, that maybe there's other things that need to be explored for healing to come. Just like, you know, I just spoke at an event the other day and I said, you know, high cholesterol is not exactly a spiritual issue. A broken arm is not exactly a spiritual issue. If they just happen by accident, and maybe you're not the kind of person that makes your cholesterol high. Some people's bodies do that, but so you're going to go to the doctor for help. You're going to go to the ER for help. And that's okay. And certainly you want people to pray over you that healing will happen well and, and thoroughly and, and all those kinds of things. That's absolutely amazing and wonderful. But when you're talking about childhood trauma, again, you need to seek potentially some therapy. And I want to take one thing from your book that you said, because I think there's a lot of ministry leaders that will resonate with this. And I think I might, this is a, a bit of a paraphrase, but mostly what you said. When the honeymoon is over, that's the first, you know, year yes. maybe of of your your arrival at a new pastorate. When the honeymoon is over, treading water becomes harder. And many who enter ministry never experience the joy of swimming. Yes. Yes, I, 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 as you read that, I can feel myself sitting in the chair in my office in the home we no longer live in and, and realizing that, that so many, so many of those like myself who appeared to have it all together, who appeared to be compassionate, which I was, and I was skilled at my job. I was great, but I, as far as as far as knowing how to regulate my emotions and how to so much so much of internal stuff it was like i was thrown into the deep water without any swimming lessons yes yes you have a lot of you have some swimming analogies in here yes. you also said living as an adult who missed developmental steps or building blocks to your emotionality as a child, I'm adding a bit here, uh, feels like being thrown into the water without swimming lessons. Yes. And so I'm doing everything by control. You know, if I get into a situation and I, and I, and I, I know that, that whatever this person is saying to me is not creating a good feeling inside of me, which I don't, which I want to avoid at all costs. I don't know what to do with that. I don't, I, the church doesn't teach us anything about neuroscience, about our bodies, about the, the vagus nerve and how it runs all through our body and communicates back and forth between our brain and our body and, and what that is, what the, what the hormones and stress chemicals are, are going on in our body so that we can befriend it and be like, oh, 
I get it. Now I can do some deep breathing. I can do, we just don't know how to do any of that to, so when instead we try to control. And when I think about control, it's kind of like when you're, when you're at a swimming pool and you have a, you have a beach ball and you hold it under the water, mm-hmm. you know, and after a while you get tired because it's pushing against you and you let go of it. And what did it do? It just explodes out of the water. And, and, and that's what happens when we control ourselves. I did a blog once on the fruits of the spirit through control and mm-hmm. what a mistake it is to try to control ourselves. Instead, we need to go in and heal what's causing all that turmoil that makes that, that ball want to bounce up out of the air with anger or, you know, all sorts of trauma responses. So, so, so here's a question then, you know, people who enter ministry and never experience the joy of swimming. And I think about ministry leaders that have departed the ministry because they just say, you know, I just, this isn't what I signed up for. This is, you know, you need, you need a strong personal resiliency. You need self-awareness. You need, there's a lot of things you need as a ministry leader that really is not included in, in some of the seminaries that train. And you even advocate for some child development understanding. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I've not heard that anywhere. Right. Because, because there's so much that we we attribute to the the sin nature in children that is actually just developmentally appropriate stuff. Hmm. And and so we're shame for that as children when in reality we just we just uh, I'm thinking of my friend's book again and cultivating kids and I I think that he does a great job of the child development piece because because I'll have to get that from you and put it in the show notes and put it in. I will. I will. It's it's very, it's, it's a, it goes into a lot of the biblical precepts that have been misinterpreted and caused a lot of really bad parenting strategies. So it does, does a great job. So anyway, but I think that unless we do our own work and we consider the building blocks that maybe we did not receive as a child and the, and then try, then then it impacts how we relate to other people. It's really really easy to get triggered by and I and and if someone is manipulative to react against it instead of realizing, oh, they have an unmet need that their behavior is demonstrating and getting underneath and finding out. But if we aren't if we aren't secure in ourselves, that's really hard to do. It is. It is. And here's a, here's what you say in your book. Leaders who do not take time and effort to heal will end up in situations where they are helping others while still in the desert without enough water. They both become too dehydrated to survive. That's probably the nicest explanation of when <laughs> churches, ex- when stuff explodes at church. Yes. <laughs> right. Because, because you need someone who, and so I took the whole month of September off and, and I'm, I'm just emerging back out because I realized, I realized that, that, that sentence in my book that I was trying to help people and I was dehydrated 
and that I needed to step back and figure out what was dehydrating me, make some changes in my life, do some things differently so that, so that I would not. And, and what was it, what was it in particular in this last year? It was because so many people came to me with their religious trauma and told me their stories and it was triggering my own story and I wasn't taking enough time to process that and to, to reflect on it and, and so forth. So yes. And it's, it's not, it's not a once and done thing, right? Oh, mm-hmm. I, I'm, comple- I'm completely self-aware and now I can, you know, because, because there'll always be a new situation that will be like, Oh my gosh, I need to go spend some time and work on that. So, yeah. So you've, brought up, you know, a lot of people that have been interested in your book are trauma victims, right? Even though the book was written to help ministry leaders understand the trauma in the lives of the people that they're called to serve. Right. And that, that was so, uh, because I was kind of sad because I, my Mainly, I like to talk to survivors. I like to help survivors. And I'm like, oh, I've devoted an entire year to writing a book that, but when it, when it published, that's who went and bought it. The, the people that, who were suffering and were sitting in the pews and didn't, and they, and I don't know, I can't even estimate how many emails, messages, you know, that I received that said, thank you. I feel so seen. I feel so validated. And people would say, I bought, I bought one of these books for every one of the ministry leaders at my church because I want them to understand me. And so, and that to me was the highest compliment that I had not only said what the ministry leaders needed to hear, but that, that I hadn't, I hadn't talked about the survivor in ways that they would not feel seen and validated. And that was my greatest fear was that because a lot of times, you know, you read a book and they're talking about the client or the parishioner or the congregant and they're talking about them. And I didn't want that to be the case. I didn't want the people who have survived horrible things in their life to feel talked about instead of seen. And so I'm very grateful that they, that they felt seen. I felt like I accomplished what I set out to do. So what, you know, you say in the book that you're sending the wounded out to care for the wounded. These are ministry leaders out to care for the wounded without ever acknowledging that the underlying problems require more than salvation. And actually, you know, you and I talked earlier about some of these woundings and traumas are what draws people into leadership because you want to help others. You want to help others. And when you And here's the really interesting thing about that is that for the most part, people who come to the church and are, are helped and, and they heal as, and I'm not saying that healing can't ever happen in a church, but what, when that happens, it's because of the relationships. Okay. It isn't about the preaching. It isn't about the, you know, did you disciple them correctly? It isn't about any of that. It is about the relationships that they finally felt seen and cared about and heard and that. And and what they actually go into ministry to do is to take that forward. 
it isn't but but when they go to the ministry preparation colleges i teach them how to preach and how to how to lead a church and how to do the business how to run a board meeting how to do how to do all of those things and there's you know maybe a class or two on a bible on uh, pastoral counseling mm-hmm. or something right where right. where but it it is it does not get the reason that they go into ministry. So I was a teacher educator. And for the most part, that well, there's two types of teachers. Some of them just love the subject. And they usually end out at high school because they want to just teach the subject, right? Mm-hmm. But then the, uh, most elementary teachers want to go because they remember a teacher that they had that cared about them and they want to go and do the same thing again, right? Mm-hmm. So then they come and we teach them how to, to, to write a lesson plan and do da 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 da. Right? It's the same thing, right? And so what the trauma movement is doing. Um, is is to say you as a teacher are the most important part of this child's success, not because of what you teach them, but because of because of how you how you understand their trauma, understand um, deeply, understand trauma deeply, and have a relationship with them that helps them to build resilience. And and so the same thing is true in the church. We we've just we've trained for the wrong. You know, we figure, well, they came because they're compassionate and that's all they need. But they needed to understand why the compassion of their experience helped them heal. Right, right. And there is a a book that I will put also in the show notes about overcoming uh, the dark side of leadership. And that book basically says the same kind of thing that it is the very our very woundedness that draws us in. I mean, that's Henry now, and you want to be the wounded healer, but you got to remember, you got to take care of your own woundedness as well. You know, you got to put your mask on. If the oxygen masks drop, you got to put yours on first before you help someone else. That's a pretty basic thing that we all understand. But what would you say to ministry leaders if they suspect maybe they'll go online and take this ACE test, I don't know, and discover, or maybe they've already kind of wondered, why do I react and respond in these ways when, you know, it really doesn't make sense? You know, your amygdala is firing. And so you the thinking department just goes to sleep while you are doing your fight or flight thing. And you don't really understand what would you tell ministry leaders they should be pursuing? Well, I uh, I say in the book that I think that <laughs> therapy therapy helps everyone. I I can't the trauma in the pews would not exist without my intense therapy journey and and a deep look inside of myself to figure out why I did what I did, what why what I was responsible for, what I wasn't responsible for, why why control didn't always work why I could control myself, but I didn't feel joy, why joy was almost inaccessible to me, except in moments and glimmers and sparks of, of joy and that I that I should have been experiencing on the regular. And and I think that I think that we all have to realize that it is not there is no shame in having had difficult experiences in our lives. You know, I say at one point in the book that we shouldn't have to leave our stories in the car when we go into church. Mm. And and for the most part, that is especially true of ministry leaders. 
because mm-hmm. because you we had this i don't know i don't know why but we had this idea that that ministry leaders were supposed to be the ones who who salvation had made some kind of perfection that that we had all the answers and 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 in reality we're we're just we're, I, have, I posted a meme on a page last night and it said, we're just, we're all a mess helping each other make it through the best we can. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that if we, if we viewed ourselves in the church like that, instead of setting people on pedestals, like they have all the answers, like I post stuff on my Facebook page every once in a while, because I don't want people to put me on a pedestal because, I, you know, it's, it's a consistent, constant effort to, to apply what I know and in ways that keep me regulated and that fill my well. So I'm not trying to help other people from an empty well. So I think, I think that that's what I would say is go get help. There's no shame in asking for help. And, and I, I need to say, okay, Mm -hmm. you, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you basically have all the spiritual answers. Like mm-hmm. you sit in your offices and you tell people the, the verses, the spiritual answers, and probably one of the best I have, I've had several therapists and one of the best therapists for me was the one who, who said, I have no problem with helping you and, and with you being a person of faith, but I'm not a person of faith. And you, and so, and asked me the best questions the very, like, why are you doing this? Well, I'm, and I would give a church answer. Well, because I'm serving God. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, that falls flat for you, doesn't it? I, why am I doing this? No, I need to go deeper than I just want to serve God, right? I need to go deeper than that. So sometimes you need to go to someone who isn't going to just echo. You're not going to sit in an echo chamber together. They will ask you the questions that are not spiritual. And so anyway, I know. And, and I remember preaching a sermon and there was a psychological component in there. And a couple of people sort of tagged me at the end and said, well, you are doing psychology. And I was like, well, when is why we do what we do not important and trying to understand that. And the gospel can definitely shed light on that for us, but I think there's something to be said for figuring out why we do what yeah. we do. Why did Paul, Paul was trying to figure it out. Why do I not do what I, what I want to do? And I do, you know, I had lots of trauma in his life, you know, so I won't go there, but, but it is important to understand why we do what we do. And here's the thing is that, that we have taken, we have taken psychology and made, and they, and historically in the church, we've made it the enemy of faith. And, and, and in reality, in reality, the understanding of trauma and the healing of trauma and faith and spirituality should be able to walk hand in hand mm-hmm. right down the middle of our lives. Oh, for we, sure. For sure. You know, and I've be separated. I've dabbled some in uh, family systems theory and scripture says the sins of one generation are visited on the next. You know, and so I always thought about that in a compounding way. And I would always say, well, gee, Lord, how bad are you going to let it get down here? But (laughs) I would would just kind of, you know, look at that. But there's many times as you are studying these things that the scripture comes to life for you in a different way. 
Right. You know, I think that I think that we we forget that that as we, for instance, okay, the the world is well, there's some people who still believe the world is flat, but we're pretty sure that the world is not flat. But there were people burned at the stake because they said that the world was not flat. Okay. And so there's always fear when new ideas come. And I think that I think that it, it is important to to realize that when the Bible was written, we did not we did not understand how the brain and body work. Mm-hmm. And yet there is so much of where it was how the body works was observed. Mm-hmm. Okay. That we can look at and say, oh, now we now that makes even more like the one you're talking about. Yeah, it the, sheds light. It sheds light on on what those observations were before we understood and had the knowledge that we have now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we should see it as a way to illuminate what has been over the ages a, a constant. I mean, the themes in the Bible are constant and they all, if you view it from a trauma lens, you just see trauma and, and ineffective parental relationships. You know, you just see it everywhere, right? Mm, yeah. People are and people still. People are people and, and trauma affects them the same then as it does now, except now that we have more information about how that works and how we can help people. We can use it to enhance our understanding. It doesn't mean that we're taking away from it. Absolutely. We don't want to do that. Don't want to take away. Well, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast and this trauma. This is um, a fairly new area for me to to delve into, but it's been it's been very fascinating. And I was just very intrigued by your book. But I will say this one last thing real, real quickly here, Janine, and I should have warned you about this. So here, that's my apology. But because this is the Krabby Pastor podcast, I always ask anybody I interview, what makes you crabby? So <laughs> this is your moment. I mean, I don't know, maybe the stain on the carpet makes you crabby today. I don't know. It's kind of funny because when I told my husband I'm going to be on the Krabby Pastor, he goes, oh, that is a great title of that for a podcast. That is awesome. Okay. So, so um, I wasn't expecting the question, but what makes me crabby? Probably, probably the quickest thing to send me on a rant is when, when a trauma, someone who has experienced the very worst that life could hand them and is, has a beautiful, beautiful faith somehow. And when they get judged. Oh, hmm. Okay, that makes me really, really crabby because I think, oh, you are missing so much. You are you are viewing this from a kind of a legalistic standpoint where they're not they're not doing it the way that you want them to do it, when in reality their faith is remarkable and beautiful and God is meeting them exactly where they are. Hmm. And so when I probably the thing that makes me crabby is when people get judged who are survivors. Yeah. Well, Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation we've had and look in the show notes. I'm going to put that ACE in there because there's, there's things on that list that, you know, just about everybody I know is 
<laughs> taken part in one of those at least and right and and we'll put other information in there as as we need but uh thank you again janine i really appreciate you being here with me thank you for having me i've loved this conversation Hey friends, the Krabby Pastor podcast is sponsored by Bryce Art Glass, and you can find that on Facebook. I make stained glass, that's part of my self-care, and also by Bryce Coaching, where I coach ministry leaders and business leaders, and so the funds that I generate from coaching and from making stained glass is what is supporting this podcast and I will have opportunities for you to be a part of sponsoring me and as always you can do the uh, buy me a cup of coffee thing in the um, in the show notes but I will have some other ways that you can be a part of getting the word out about the importance of healthy self-care for ministry leaders. Hey Thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the crabby pastor.